The following podcast is sponsor content. Courage. The strength to carry on. The willingness to make yourself vulnerable in the face of potential loss, embarrassment, or hardship. The openness to challenge and the love of meeting that challenge head on. Courage is one of the building blocks of growth, and it's at the core of success. And this podcast is an exploration of what courage looks like and feels like, what it means in our lives every day. Welcome to Points of Courage. My name is Jessica Jackley, and in 2005, I co-founded a nonprofit, Kiva, the world's first online person-to-person lending platform. What that means is on Kiva, everyday people around the world can lend $25 or more to an entrepreneur in need. We started out trying to raise just over $3,000 for a handful of entrepreneurs in Uganda. Truth be told, we had no idea what we were doing, and very few people believed we could do it. But I was fueled by a drive to help the entrepreneurs I had gotten to know there. People who, in the face of poverty and great need, were making a living as farmers and fishermen, seamstresses, goat herds, and really by doing whatever they could to make ends meet. Their courage inspired me, so much so that I found the courage to start an organization to help them. Ten years later, Kiva operates in 84 countries around the world and has facilitated nearly a billion dollars in loans on the site. And the experience of founding the organization has propelled me forward, launching several other ventures focused on promoting entrepreneurship. In this podcast, we're going to meet entrepreneurs and hear new stories of strength, passion, and relentless drive. I'm excited to share with you stories of entrepreneurial spirit and acts of courage, big and small, that can inspire us all. This podcast is brought to you by Hiscox Insurance. They specialize in customized insurance for small businesses of all sizes. You can learn more at Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. Hiscox. Encourage courage. Today in the studio is an individual who has done what most people dream of doing and very few people actually do. Quit their day job and start their own business. Our guest felt that insatiable itch, that yearning to be his own boss, and he saw a problem that he thought he could solve, so he decided to actually do something about it. On top of that, he works in an incredibly high-stress industry, one that we all rely on day in and day out to allow us to do the work that we do, but it's an industry we only hear about when something goes wrong. Yes, I'm talking about IT, information technology. Our guest, Dipesh Patel, he's the guy who makes sure nothing goes wrong. Billion-dollar companies come to him to set their IT strategies and solve their problems. One glitch, and thousands of people wouldn't be able to do their jobs. And yet, he recently tweeted that he believes he has the best job in the world. Today, we're going to talk about what keeps him inspired every day, and why his favorite hashtag is hashtag do something. So, Depeche, welcome to Points of Courage. Thanks for having me. So technology consulting is one of those terms we hear a lot, but the meaning and practice is vague for a lot of people. Do you think you could walk us through, you know, if you're explaining it to my kids, what is tech consulting? Whenever I tell people I work in tech consulting, a lot of people think I help people with their laptops and stuff. And I love technology and I love toys. Um, So I get a lot of those questions from my parents or from friends, and I'll help them because I love helping people. But that's not what we do. (laughs) We help large enterprises leverage technology. Um, So an example of a project could be like the nonprofit I told you about. Their, Their executive director, she came to me and said, Tepesh, I've got a challenge. There's not enough people that I can deploy to different jurisdictions right. to teach them how to change the cash bail problem in America. And she said, I've got, I've got this vision. I want to build something that's an online learning community that's got learning and it's got a community component to it too, using technology. Perfect. 
you know, as we started documenting all the requirements, we found out most of the stuff out there that she wanted to do, 80% of those things could be done with something we could buy or rent. And once we showed that to her, it was really powerful because she's like, oh, I don't need that at 20%. I'm not willing to spend millions of dollars for that. Why would I do that? Right. And ultimately, it saved her a lot of money, but she didn't really care about that. I think it just built a lot of trust because we told her something that no vendor would tell her, right? You don't actually have to buy something. And and now we're still engaged with that client, and they're one of my favorite teams to do work with. So tell me what you were doing before Salvagee existed, and how did you make that transition? I think a lot of people listening are going to be wondering, what does it look like, that moment where you find the courage to quit your day job, (laughs) and to pursue this idea, this dream that you had. People often think there's this moment that makes you say, I got to go start a business. Mm -hmm. But when I started Salvage, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing it just to have Depeche Patel Inc. or just Mm -hmm. to be a CEO. Mm -hmm. You know, when we started, I didn't even give myself that title because I think it's silly, right? You're one person. You're not a CEO of anything. (laughs) So So you were titleless for a while. No, I had a title. I'd made a principal. It was not a fancy schmancy title. No no CEO of anything. So... You know, I noticed this gap in the market. I worked at Deloitte. I'd worked at North Highland, kind of strategy firms. Mm-hmm. And they were really good at doing strategy. Technology strategy, but strategy. And then I'd worked at a couple of regional consulting firms that were more good at building software, apps, websites, dashboards. So they solved problems. Got it. So there were companies that did strategy that were really good, companies that did solving problems that were really good. But none of them were really good at doing both of those things. You'd have this handoff between the strategy firm okay. and the firm that would implement something. And I was like, why can't we have one company do both of those things. How did you first see that gap with the initial customer? They were dealing with a complex project, which if you, in the utility space, they have trucks that roll out in the field. And those trucks have to be rolled in a certain order, otherwise it's very inefficient. So there's complex technology that runs that. So we helped them pick a piece of software that would run that process. And then we did some project management over the top. So we were there from the beginning through the implementation. And you thought, well, I could do this again and again for other organizations. Yeah, time and time again. And, you know, we're working with a nonprofit right now, the Pretrial Justice Institute, one of my favorite nonprofits in the world, because they're making change in the cash bail system. And it's cool because we have a small piece in changing mm-hmm. that mission, right? Mm-hmm. We have companies that we work with that are utilities and hospitality companies, but it's really cool when it's something that's making an impact in the world. Yep. So you make it sound very seamless and very, quite frankly, easy to make that transition. Were there moments when you felt like you were nervous, you had to draw on this courage to take those steps forward and let go of being on somebody else's payroll? I, you know, I don't think those went away. Like today I wake up and I'm still got, you know, yeah. butterflies in my stomach. We have like a real payroll right now. Yeah. We have a line of credit where our house is on the line. You know, my wife yeah. wouldn't be very happy to hear all this stuff, but it, it is, <laughs> it's a fact. And it's hard. Doing your own business is not easy. Right, right. There's a reason not everybody does it. Right. But if you have that vision, don't talk about it. Go and do something. Read a book. Talk to people. Tell us about that a little bit. Tell us about this love of the hashtag do something. I think it just comes from me waking up in the morning. Like I wake up every morning super excited about doing stuff. We should all wake up in the morning and be excited to do something. Right. We, and, and I don't know what that something is. Everyone's got their own something. You just want that bias toward yeah. action. And sometimes that's something for me is, is waking up and hanging out with Arian, right? Yeah. My, my son, I wake up and I just, I know Zuckerberg posted this thing about the most important meeting of the day. Right. And I have that meeting every day. As you said, there are stresses that come with being an entrepreneur. I think as a parent, those stresses can be magnified at times to feel that weight of the responsibility of providing for another person and protecting them and taking care of them. Can you tell us how you get through those difficult, stressful moments? How do you kind of draw on your own courage, on your own strength? Yeah, I think it's all about managing risk. Everything you do business-wise, life-wise, it's all about managing risk. And my approach to most things is to be very conservative. The way we've set up our firm is very conservative. We're not thinking short-term, we're thinking long-term. 
the way we manage our finances as a firm and, you know, personally me and our family is very conservative. We don't live well beyond our meanings. It's so huge that you're sharing this because I think it's counterintuitive to what a lot of people think about entrepreneurship. They think if you are an entrepreneur, you have taken a big risk. But you're saying within that choice, you found a lot of security and a lot of success being slightly risk averse. Yeah. You know, the the other thing about going out on your own, like fear is the thing that stops everyone, right? I'm scared. Mm. And if you really believe in yourself, then you shouldn't have fear. You can always go find a job. Mm. So, Depeche, it sounds like you had sort of a magical childhood in terms of being exposed to technology and having so much access to that through your dad and his work. My father worked for Compact Computer, which most people never heard of. He was able to get some of the cool toys home. So we had a computer when they were like super expensive and no one had computers. It also sounds like when you were in high school, there was another huge influence on you, an experience that you had that really changed the way you saw yourself. Like I told you, I was a big nerd, um, but I was in speech and debate. I only did it because one of my good friends did it, and I was like, oh, seems like something I should do. And then it turned out I was actually pretty good at it. I was an introvert, so getting up and talking to people was not my thing, but I'm competitive. And uh, this woman that was our coach taught us that the world is bigger than A-Leaf, Texas. These are kind of like, you know, urban kids, and we got, we got to go to speech room in Harvard. Can you imagine? I don't know how old it was, 15 or 16. I got to go to Boston sure, and hang out sure. in Harvard on campus and walk around. Incredible. 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 Insane experience. And I turned out that I was able to almost talk to anybody after that. It sounds like it taught you a few things. It gave you confidence that you had in in a way that you didn't have it before. Absolutely. If I hadn't done that, I would not be sitting here talking to you right now. Hmm. So if you do my, whatever, Myers-Briggs or predictive Mm -hmm. index, it it shows me as an introvert. And I recognized very early on at Texas that in order to do anything and to be a leader, I had to do it through others, right? It couldn't be just myself trying to do anything. And I think that lesson, uh, you know, came out as when I did a couple of different things with friends, founded a business fraternity there, um, I actually started a small little computer business with another friend of mine. And all those different lessons I learned from all that stuff are things I still count on today. My friend Susan Kane wrote a book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. I think that's the subtitle. She talks about how even though often being an introvert might be seen as some sort of weakness, is that actually it can be a great strength, a great asset, and a very powerful thing. So you're saying one of the things that that led you to realize in your own life is that you needed other people around you to get certain things done. Can you talk about any other lessons that that has taught you or any other truths that you feel like you've applied to have the success that you've had in your business? You know, I think the biggest thing for us is is just focusing on relationships, mm-hmm. right? And not short-term relationships. In the consulting world, public companies are driven by quarterly numbers. Private companies put sales quotas on people. We don't do any of that stuff. Mainly because I, I just say if you help someone, then it'll come back 10 times. Very and true. a lot of people tell me, you know, I don't know, who, who can I help, right? I don't know people. I don't know a bunch of executives at big companies. I'm like, do you have a doorman? Do you go to the gym? Right, right. You can help anybody. It doesn't matter. So you've written a little bit about this on LinkedIn, about networking or perhaps not networking. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm very impressed that you're one of my six readers on LinkedIn. <laughs> I did my homework. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just don't like the word networking. Like, it's not a thing. It's it's mm-hmm. to help somebody. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, you were talking about hashtags earlier. I was hashtag Salvagey Helps. Because we, mm-hmm. we, we're not in the game of going to drive a bunch of revenue. Like, sure, we have to make money and be profitable. We need a good balance of customers and employees. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're not focused on a short-term thing. Right. We're, we're focused on making change and impact in the world. Right. And we do work with the, some of the coolest nonprofits in the world. And it's not because, you know, Depeche goes and sells this deal to some executive, right? Sure. It's because our people go and help. It's because I go and help. What are some things that you sort of tell yourself? Do you have any mantras? Do you have any things that 
are, are kind of core values for yourself as a leader and or for the company? Yeah. So our, our core values, we always say we're on a ride with our core values. Mm-hmm. Right? We have four core values. So the first ones are relationships. We want lifelong relationships, not just with our customers, but with our employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, our second core value is integrity. A lot of software companies will give you a kickback if you recommend their software. And mm-hmm. I tell them all the time, that's great. We're not going to take the money. Or if you give it to me, I'm giving it straight to the customer. Sure. Because we want to maintain that integrity, right? If right. we're recommending software and someone's giving us a piece of the pie, which happens all the time, we're not unbiased then. Right. Uh, diversity is another a third core value. And that one's really important to me because it's not about skin color or sex. It's just about everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. And that different background that you have brings something to the table. I think this is so huge. I think when you take those different backgrounds and put them into a team, you can do anything. What is E? E is excellence. Okay. So whatever we do, do it well. Yep. My big thing is if you're going to commit to doing something for our firm internally or for a customer, do it. If you can't do it, don't commit. Right. But if you're going to do it, if do, you're gonna it do it. If you're going to do it, do it 100%. Right. Do it 100%. So, Depeche, when people think of tech, they think Silicon Valley, maybe New York. I'm hopeful that they think L.A. too. <laughs> but maybe they don't think immediately of Washington, D.C. How are you trying to influence culture in D.C. so that it becomes more of a prominent tech hub? Yeah, you know, it's surprising, Jessica. People think of D.C. as this federal government thing, town. Yeah. And it is. It's, it's got the largest buyer of professional services in the world hanging out right. there, which is cool. But, you know, the tech community in D.C. is a growing vibrant culture. It's surprising. There's all kinds of little startup incubators. There's hmm. a lot of cool startups. You know, a good friend of mine from Texas started a company called Good Shuffle. And you know, I love helping people. So I, I help them out every now and then with random questions that they need. Another friend of mine's got a company that's focused on education and learning. And they okay. want to change the way that people learn to write and read. And I just like helping those kind of companies. Right? And they're all DC-based. And they're making change and making impact. And there have been some pretty significant tech companies that came out of the DC market. So you know, they, they all tend to eventually move to Silicon Valley to get money and all that kind of stuff. But we're trying to work on them not moving, right? Let's let's incubate that talent there in D.C. and, and keep it going. So, nice. you know, we're working on it. There's O-Power is a big company out there yep. that Obama's kind of uh, endorsed. And there's a few others, a handful of others. And yeah. we'll get there. It'll take time, but we'll get there. Well, it sounds like one of the things you're doing to influence, too, is just, again, back to your values, long-term commitment, loyalty. You're there. You're there to stay, and you're going to serve as an example to other companies. Mm-hmm. Depeche, one thing that I'm really I'm getting out of this conversation with you yeah. that I really like, mm-hmm. you have this confidence and sort of this matter of fact, you know, of course, of course, it's possible for anybody to decide to go be excellent at what they do. And I think a lot of people don't think that way. And even if it just seems very obvious and kind of intuitive to you, I'm sure there are still a lot of people in the firms, the big, powerful of firms where you used to work who would think it's crazy or, or they would feel terrified at the idea of doing something on their own. What do you think holds people back? People like your colleagues at the other big firms where you've worked. It's all fear. Yeah. Right? It's all driven by external pressures. And a lot of times people internalize that and they start living it. And you don't, you don't want to live it. You want to do something. You mentioned you really enjoy coaching and mentoring. What do you say to an employee when they're discouraged or when they're, they're feeling frustrated or they are feeling fearful themselves about the future of the company or their own path? How do you help them tap into that courage. I had a conversation today in the morning in the hotel room with one of our employees that we've made an offer to. He's got some stuff he needs to work on, but he's a very smart young man, very analytical, very intelligent. And I told him, we all have things to work on. You know, he, he told me one time, he's like, I'm never going to be the life of the party because he sees me at, you know, when we go out to company happy hours or whatever, I try to talk to everyone, right? I'm like, that's not the thing. That's, that's not a thing. I'm an introvert. I do that because that's what it takes to be successful in the world. You need others. And I was telling him this, I'm like, 
you know, what, what it's going to take for you to be successful is you got to change a little bit, right? You got to figure out that you can't do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you need others, you have to bring them along with you. Mm-hmm. Not kicking and screaming. They got to be excited about coming to do stuff with you mm-hmm. and on your team. You know, he, he kind of is like, well, I don't, know, I don't know if I believe that I can do that. I'm like, you know what? I do. Salvage does. And I promise you two years from now, you will more than we do. Mm-hmm. Right now, you may not, but mm-hmm. we'll get you the confidence. And our job is to enable that growth. And it's hard. It's not easy, right? Not not all consulting firms do that to right, that level right. where they say, I have no, this You know what? Not all people do that. I mean, I'm really touched by what you just said, that to be able to look somebody in the eye that you're just like starting a relationship with here mm-hmm. and be able to say, I believe in you, that's, that's huge. And yeah. I think it's rare, sadly, in the world. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great example for people. You know, the other thing, my father-in-law always says this, you know, he's like, be nice. Yeah. Be nice. Like if you, if you are thinking about something or an issue yeah. or processing something complicated and complex— be nice. The art and the science of being nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's lost. Yep. It sounds like you are mastering it. I don't know about that. I'm working on it. I'm, I don't think I'm a master <laughs> of anything yet, but we'll get there. Uh, very humble. Humility. I'm just going to call it another value is, of yours is humility. I'm glad. I don't know. And if you'll it's never the right own thing. up to it because it's a. <laughs> <laughs> so at the very beginning, can you think back? What were people saying to you that uh, encouraged you? And what were people saying to you that discouraged you? And how did you process all of that? So I'll start with the encouragement. Um, so, so Sheetal's dad, my wife's dad, mm-hmm. he's a serial entrepreneur. He had businesses in India doing civil engineering and building airports and hospitals and all kinds of cool things. They moved to America and he did more, you know, I'll, I'll call it blue collar businesses, right? He had hotels and convenience stores and that kind of stuff. But he's, he always told me, he's like, if you want to do this someday, someday will not come do it now. Hmm. One of the other big pieces of advice he tells me is like, plan for the worst and the worst will never happen. Very good advice. Very sobering. What are the top three pieces of advice or wisdom you'd want to share to somebody right on the fence, right on the cusp of perhaps starting their own thing? What would you share to encourage them to sort of take that big step? I think we talked about this earlier. I think don't be scared. If you believe you're good at what you do, don't Why be scared. Why don't be scared? I'm just going to push you because I'm thinking yeah. of the naysayers. I'm thinking of the people with yeah. the, that are afraid. Yeah. It doesn't always work to say, well, you shouldn't be afraid, right? So yeah. don't be afraid of what? Don't be afraid why? Well, I think don't be afraid of failure. We don't encourage failure enough. I always tell our people, I'm like, I have no problem with you making mistakes. Just don't make the same mistake twice. I think if you learn from each of your mistakes, you grow as a person. And we, as a team, Solvagy, we'll grow as a firm. Right. Now, if we make the same mistakes twice, our clients are not going to be very happy, right? Because mm. you know, learning is one thing, but if you're going to make mistakes and the same ones over and over, it's not good. So I think learning is a, is a big thing and failing and failing fast. So don't fear failure. Yeah. You know, every day, learn yeah. something. Yeah. What else, uh, especially know, if they're battling with those fears of venturing out on their own and of lack of security or in a different way? kind of having to create their own structure. I think I'll go back to the whole plan for the worst and it won't happen thing. Is If you plan for the worst, you're essentially mitigating risk. And when you plan for that mitigation, you've nailed it, right? Because you you know what the worst thing is that's going to happen and you have a plan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What, what's going to happen? Yep. You know the worst is going to happen. You made the plan for what the worst is. How do you, I think people are excited about mentorship a lot lately. How do you find a good mentor and create that relationship? I think the, the best way is find someone that you want to be in 10 or 15 years. Hmm. Who do you want to be in 10 or 15 years? It's very concise and well put. Find somebody, at least qualities about them that you'd and like not, to have and, in 10 years. And not just years, professionally. Huh? Personally, right. professionally, socially, like everything. Find someone that you want to be in 10 years. It's a tall order, but it I is. see what you're saying. But once you find that person, be really nice to them. Be really nice to them. So be nice. I'm, I feel like I'm getting the uh, the 10 truths. Of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
So who inspires you? I'll have to go with my son. When I wake up and I take him out of the room and it's me and him time mm. in the mornings, he inspires me. Yeah. And he doesn't know it right now. He has no idea what he's doing. Right. He's mumbling, you know, playing around, <laughs> kicking his little jungle gym thing. So he doesn't make like a, a powerful speech every morning necessarily. You know, he, <laughs> he, pr- he probably thinks it's a powerful speech. Sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's just mumbling. Sure. Um, you know, he, he smiles, or we think he smiles. The doctor said he can't be smiling until 12 weeks, so theoretically he's not allowed to smile now, but I think he's smiling. Of course he is. You are correct. The parent is right. I hope so. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that that inspires me, right? It, yeah. I've got this human being, and he's amazing in yeah. every way possible. And, you know, I have to teach him everything. Yeah, no and pressure. I, I, I don't want to teach him, like, forget business and travel. And I just want to teach him to be nice and be a good human being. Yeah. That's all I want to teach him. Yeah. I think you're off to a great start. Hopefully. Nefesh, thank you so much for coming and spending time with us today. It's been a real honor to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. I feel like I've made a new friend. You have made a new friend. I'm going to be cheering you on, and I look forward to seeing all the growth that will happen in your life with your company, with your family. It's a really exciting time. Thank you. Depesh strikes me as somebody who wakes up every day knowing exactly what's mission critical, knowing exactly what needs to get done, and doesn't waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. He seems like he has his priorities so straight, so set, and that that really has made his business efficient and effective. Maybe we've been taught lately to like really shout from the rooftops who we are and why we're great and what we do, and especially in the social entrepreneurship world, there's this real glorification of that path and that role, and I've really come to admire the power of humility and of just being focused on getting things done as opposed to the brand, you know, the the name, the trying to make yourself bigger. I think Depeche has a humility that's that I'm, I'm drawn to and that I think must be one of the many things that has led to success. That's it for this episode. I'm Jessica Jackley. Thank you for listening.